Beautiful people. That was a sudden drop back there, guys. Whoop. The pastor's talking. Shut it off. Yeah. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. I'm going to bless you guys this morning. It's my honor to teach you the Bible and teach you the Word of God. Had a guest in first service and I didn't think I did that well. But then again, I'm always kind of like, I could have did better. I could have did better. And she's like, I took three paper plates worth of notes. And she starts pulling paper plates out of her, out of her purse. So, hey, it was a three paper plate message. That's pretty good, you know. I told her, I was like, we could give you paper if you needed paper. But she, anyway, we're doing John chapter 8. Very blessed to have you all here this morning. Say it with me. Jesus has something good for me today. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to break it down. It says, once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me. And you will not find me. And you will die in your sin. For where I go, you cannot come. And then the Jews turned to him and asked him, are you going to kill yourself? Is that why you say this? Where you go, we cannot come. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you would not believe that I am. You will indeed die in your sins. And they said, who are you? And Jesus said to them, I've been telling you this from the beginning. I have much to say to you, but who, the one who sent me is trustworthy. And everything that I have heard from him, speaking of the Father, I will tell the world. They did not understand that Jesus was speaking of the Father. And so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of my own. Just as the Father has taught me, the one who sent me is with me and has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him, even as he spoke, many believe. That last portion is really like a connecting point here because Jesus lowered himself. And so when Jesus is in submission to his father, Jesus came in vulnerability. How many knows that? Anybody know that? He came in humility. The Bible says he took on the form of a servant, which is the word doulos, which means as low as he could go. And the scripture says that the father would overwatch him. And so that Jesus could trust in the Holy Spirit and he could trust that as he set aside his position, as he set aside the authority, that the Father was going to overwatch him and take care of him. Jesus is in the temple. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of three, well, there's seven feasts, but one of the three major feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate every year. And these three feasts required a male representative from every household to attend. The reason is because God was going to do something. There was going to be an appointment. And so here's Jesus still at the Feast of Tabernacles. He's in the temple, court of the women ladies. Jesus is teaching, drawing crowds. And the Pharisees and the scribes are challenging him because Jesus was a threat to their system. So what, you wanna, what I wanna, want you to understand, I want you to understand a little bit of a background between all of these confrontations that are going on with Jesus, and I want you to understand the culture and where the Jewish people were at this time. Say it with me. God's original intent from the beginning was communal relationship and worship. That's the way he started it in the garden. And then when, when man fell and all of the events leading up to the moment, God chose Abraham. From Abraham, God chose, built a family. From a family, God built a nation. He built the nation of Israel. And to Israel, he entrusted his word. He entrusted his ways. He entrusted his purposes. And he told them, if you will be faithful to me, I will bring a light to the nations. I will bring a, a savior, a Messiah. So you have Israel being chosen by God among 
all other people because they were the least. That's what the Bible says. So there's this conflict among nations going on. Another story, another day. And God says, I'll choose the weakest people, the lowest people, and I'll make them the greatest. And how many knows he's still in the business of doing that today? You should be glad. Come on. <laughs> and so he took those people to himself. He drew them to himself. He brought Moses. They came out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, I'm going somewhere with this, God gave them what was called, he gave a tent of meeting, but he also gave a tabernacle, which was a place of communal worship. So they had this big tent where they would all come before the Lord and they would worship the Lord from that habitation, the tabernacle. And it was always about communal worship was always about that relationship and that being one with the other and connected. Then you flash forward a few, a few centuries later, a few hundred years later, and you have David, the king of Israel. David wanted to build the temple. The Lord said, you can't build it, David, because you've been a man of war. you got blood on your hands. And if, they, if you build the temple, the nations are going to say that your God is a God of blood. So he said, I'm not going to use you, but I will use your son to build the temple. And Solomon was a man of peace. So there's the representation there. Solomon builds the first temple. And in the first temple, it was all about communal worship. Same idea, same dynamic, communal worship. The Jews were thrown out of their land. They got, because, say it with me, they were disloyal in their worship to the Lord. And so what happened, because of their disloyalty, they lost their inheritance. What does this disloyalty look like? Well, you see it like a lot of the books. Uh, Jeremiah is an easy one. That's one. Jeremiah, Jeremiah begins prophesying before Jerusalem falls. He prophesies after Jerusalem falls, and he prophesies in the exile. Ezekiel, kind of a little bit of the same story there. But Jeremiah, so God's trying to woo these people back to him. And the habits of the people at this time was that they would show up, so their worship would be on a Saturday. They would show up on a Saturday because that was the Sabbath. Now we wait, we, we're on Resurrection Day. So we, Jesus rose on a Sunday, so we worship on a Sunday. And the people would come, and they would, they would come and check the box go through the religious rituals on Saturday, and on Monday or the next day, they would be right back in the culture doing every single thing the culture did and following the ways of the culture. And because they followed the ways of the culture, they were displaced from their inheritance. Does this make sense? They were not condemned. Say it with me. They were not condemned, but they were displaced because of their habits, their hang-ups, and the things that they wouldn't deal with in their lives. Right? They engaged in cultural things, and they were, they, and that's why you, one of my favorite chapters, I like, I love this chapter, Jeremiah 7. Everybody wants to be a prophet. I want to be a prophet. I'm a prophet of God. I'm like, how do you like this one? God tells Jeremiah, go and stand at the doorway of the temple and proclaim to them this. And so Jeremiah goes and stands at the door. Thousands of people coming to worship, big temple in Jerusalem. Jeremiah's going, don't trust in lying vanities. Do not say the temple of the Lord. He's calling them all out on hypocrites and all this other stuff. And they're like, you stink, Jeremiah. So they take Jeremiah. They stick him in stocks, right? They throw him in a pit, right? That's what they did. But they were showing up, and they were not living a lifestyle of communal worship. They were religiously pretentious. Actually, that's another prophetic sign of the spirit that Israel was under, was a spirit of religion. Another story, another day. You see it even when Jesus encounters their leaders. You see this spirit of religion that's just exerting itself, this system of control. So the Jews were disbanded. They were dispersed to the nations. God reclaims them. The reclamation is found in Ezra and Nehemiah. 
He reclaims them. They come back to the nation, and they rebuild the temple. Say that. This is called the second temple. So what happens in the second temple, the the Jewish people shift their theology. Their thinking changes. First of all, they're influenced heavily by Greek thought. They're influenced heavily by Greek philosophy, and they became very naturally minded. Sound familiar? Because Greek, the, Greek, the teaching of the Greeks, the philosophical teachings of the Greeks is all about feelings, all about sensation. It's all about uh, human rationality. It's, it's all about that. It's about human love. And that's really where the Jewish people, their, their, their thought system, they began to deny the supernatural. You almost see no miracles in the second temple. None. There's almost no, there is no prophet other than John the Baptist that we know of in the, in the second temple. Well, you see a couple, but they're mostly waning. You don't see a lot of power and a lot of miracles in this period of time because the whole attitude of the Jewish people had shifted. And what they had thought, they thought, we lost our land because we didn't keep the rules. That's what they thought. It's the rules. That's why we lost the land. We got, we got kicked out of our inheritance because we were not keeping the rules. They didn't lose their inheritance because, or not their inheritance, they didn't lose, they were not dispossessed. They became dispossessed not because they didn't keep the rules. They were dispossessed because they were disloyal. You understand? To what? Communal relationship. Okay? Let's put it in the form of a marriage. Ladies, do you divorce your husband because he doesn't keep the rules? I highly think, don't, I don't think that happens. But if he's disloyal... It's getting real quiet in here. <laughs> if he's with you on Friday and Saturday night, but he's with somebody else on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, oh, now I got to rise out of you. Yeah, yeah. See, women get that whole concept real easy. They get that one quick. And this was what was going on there, is that they were coming and they were checking the boxes and, you know, it's like, it's like okay, taking my wife out to dinner, it's not enough. You're like, yeah, speak on this, Kevin. Come on, speak on this. <laughs> Brothers, you have to stick. Ready? Ready? I'm going to help you out. Rudy, I got you in trouble, so I'm going to help you out. You have to. Don't, he's like, please stop talking about me. You have to stare into her eyes. Come on, ladies, help me. Help me. I got one. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Look into her eyes. Everybody say this. I want all the brothers to say this with me. Put the phone down. I know it's hard to say. Let's say it again. Put the phone down. And look at her and not the screen, right? And I want all the women to say this. Talk about something besides problems. If he takes you to dinner, now's not the time to unload your family problems on the brother. That, he's just going to be like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was coming here for tacos, man. And now I've got to solve the family problems. If he ta- when he takes you out to dinner and he's staring in your eyes, talk about each other. Talk about hopes. Talk about dreams. Talk about something good. Talk about something encouraging. Don't talk about problems. I'm helping you. I am. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to help you. Right. I know. Yes. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. <laughs> Look her in the eye. This is the whole idea. They were displaced from their relationship because they were not loyal to it. It wasn't because they didn't do the dishes and sweep the floor and cut the grass and wash the car and take the garbage out. That's not why they were displaced. They were displaced because they were disloyal. They were outwardly pretentious. And God said to me, the Lord desires 
communal worship. Always, forever, from the heart. Always. It's not about rules and rituals. I said this in first service, and the guy he's like, said, it's not about smoking, drinking, and hanging out with those that are doing. And the guy said, yeah, he goes, but th that stuff gets me in trouble. I said, absolutely, it gets you in trouble. So it's not going to condemn you. It's probably going to cut your life short, but it's not going to condemn you. God doesn't judge you. If you want to go smoke, drink, and chew, and party, and all that other stuff, this is what I was telling him. I'm like, as a Christian, you need to examine yourself whether or not that actually, you're actually in the faith. If you have no conviction about that, you're probably not saved. If you don't have any conviction about oons, 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 blowing it out and blazing it, then you're probably not a believer. If you have no conviction, getting quiet, right? When a pig falls in the mud, they do what? They roll. You ever know what a sheep does when it falls in the mud? It cries. Nah, get me out of this place now. When you get born again, you see, before you were born again, you were that pig. You're rolling in it. You're, you're flipping that mud up on your back, and you're like, yeah. You're trying to get other people into the mud with you. But then you become a believer, and you're a different person, and you're kind of like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to step in. Yeah, get in there. And then all your pig friends throw you in the mud, and you start crying, get me out of here, Jesus. And he always does. But you're a different person. You're not the same person you were. You transformed. So they had a lot of Hellenistic views. They had a view, their view and their viewpoint was natural. They became naturally minded. The Bible says to be carnally minded is enmity with God. It's also death. When you're carnally minded or worldly thinking, you are an enemy of the Lord, right? Because God's not thinking like that. And when you're carnally minded, it produces death. In other words, nothing good. And so what had happened to these Hebrew people is they were living in a natural world. They were thinking everything in natural minded. They said, well, it's because we broke the rules. And so they became extremely rule conscious. And so there you have the Pharisees, the sect of the Pharisees, and they start talking about washing hands and doing Sabbaths, and, and everything was rule conscious. And if you were in with the in crowd, it was great. But if you weren't in with that crowd, it was bad. They would, they would adjust their laws as they saw fit. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. He told them, all you do is affirm one another, running around affirming one another. They applied the laws as they saw fit. In other words, if they wanted you out, you were out. But they would excuse themselves. They would justify each other. You see it in our legal system. We have laws that are not equally applied. They're not equally applied at all. You see injustice. They say, this, we're going to apply this law to these people. And you're saying, yeah, but this group is blatantly worse. And they're like, oh, well, we're excusing them because they're our political ally, and we're going to go over here. Sound too close? Does that sound too close for anybody here? But you see that, and that's called injustice. That's an abuse of power. That's an abuse. And that's what they would do. And they would exile people. So the people were always in fear of the Jews. They were always concerned they wouldn't even publicly, to publicly proclaim Jesus because they felt like it was a social, they would be socially outcast. They believed it was because they didn't keep the rules. Yeah, but it was their disloyalty that vacated them. Jesus illuminates the intent of the heart. So the Pharisees would teach the people a certain way. They would teach them about rules. Rule, 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 rule. Keep the rules. Keep the rules. 
It was like 1,500 Pharisees in Jerusalem alone. It was, I think the, 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 it was like one, every, one out of every eight or one out of every 10 people was a Pharisee in Jerusalem. It's like it's some crazy number. I'd be like a cop on every corner, you know, the religiously correct police everywhere, right? Just analyzing every part of your life. They just watch you, everything you did. You know how oppressed that was? It was to be so oppressed. Jesus would teach them truth. Mark 1 says the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority and he didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. So they're like, wow, I actually feel like there's life in this message. This guy feels like this guy seems to be somebody who knows what he's talking about. And so the people gravitated towards Jesus and he was teaching them truth. And they had created a system inside the system that was a system of control. And Sabbath is a big one. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They go, you can't do that. And Jesus said, who told you that? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Of course I can heal on the Sabbath. You can't eat on the Sabbath. You can't wash with unclean hands. The Lord's like, I never said that. Those are your rules. They're not mine. You can't talk to women. How dare you talk to women? You're talking to a woman? Jesus is like, yeah, I am. Your rule's not mine. It's true. This is, what, this is the world that he was encountering. They had set up a system that was contrary to the heart of God. So true. He tells them, he he was a threat to their system. This is why they wanted to murder him. And he tells them, I'm going away and you cannot come. Where's he going? He's going to go back. He's going back to heaven. He's going back to his father. He's come on a mission and he knows he's going to die. Nobody took Jesus' life. Nobody took it from him. It didn't just like blindside him like, hey, what are you guys doing? What? Hey, don't do that. No, he knew it. He knew he was going to be crucified. He told them he was going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. The Bible says he fulfilled prophetically being hung on a tree before heaven and earth. He bridged the gap between heaven and earth. Blood came down. Bridging the gap between heaven and earth. That's why he hung. Cursed as those who hang on a tree. He knew what he was going to do. The Bible says no one took my life, takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I also have the power to take it up. Jesus didn't just die. He willed his death. He said to die, and he yielded his spirit. He didn't even bleed out, if you really want to go that far. He willed it to tell us die, and he gave up the spirit. Crazy. They say, Where's he, where are you going to go that we can't come? See, these people were so self-righteous. They didn't believe they needed a savior. This is the world we live in. This is a the world they live in. We live in a Greekly influenced society that is very, very naturally minded. The church is inundated with this system of thinking as well. Very natural, very rational. This is how we, we relate to the world. All of Western society is heavily influenced through Greek thinking. I'll believe it when I see it. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom says believe it and then you'll see it. It's completely the opposite. But they were influenced by that and they become very naturally minded. And they said, well, we're not, you know, we can't, we don't need a savior we don't need a savior. Where are you going to go? You're going to kill yourself? In their rule book, to commit suicide was worse than murder, right? But that's not true. So to, in their rule book, if they committed suicide, you would be just lost and damned forever. But that's not, that's not true at all. So this brings up the question, does suicide condemn someone? I'm like, no, it doesn't. I know believers that have killed themselves, and it's very, very sad and extremely tragic. But that's not the sin of condemnation. The sin of condemnation is the rejection of Christ as Lord. There's not two sins of condemnation. There's one. One. Yeah, one. I think when that's why I say smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing does not condemn you. And the guy said, yeah, but it doesn't do me any good. I said, that's right, it doesn't do He goes, I almost died doing it. And I said, sure, your life's good. All things are, say it with me, all things are lawful. 
but not all things are profitable. You're going to go, go do that. You're going to cut your life short. You're, you're going you're to allow the devil to encroach upon your, you know, you're living in ignorance. You're living below the, the standard that God has for you as a son or a daughter. And so when people commit suicide, it's always at the root of hopelessness. Somewhere they're missing truth. Hopelessness. That's why people do that. Every single time. It's in the Bible. Saul killed himself. Hopelessness. He was afraid of something that didn't even exist. The thing that he was afraid of, and he killed himself before it happened, and it didn't even happen. You know? didn't even happen. It's always hopelessness. That's why we're hope dealers, ladies and gentlemen. We have to speak hope. There's always hope. Always. Come on. There's always hope. Always hope. Say it with me. Too, it's too soon to quit. There's always hope. That's right. Jesus Christ is hope personified. He makes all things work together. God will turn it around. I don't care how bad it looks. Put faith on it, Christian. Seek the Lord. So many aspects of this faith and so many keys to our lives come through communion. And it's the very thing that we neglect. We, we cannot, you know, God wants to relate to you, commune with you. He wants the obedience, and he wants you to participate in the, in the flow of his kingdom, but he wants you. He's not interested in you just checking boxes. Jesus says, I'm the one who came down. He says, I'm the one who came for you. I'm from above. Every religion, every single religion, is the exaltation of self, man becoming God, right? You're your own God. Islam, you accumulate deeds to achieve a status. Hinduism, you accumulate deeds to, to nirvana. And if you miss it in Hinduism, don't worry. You'll come and reincarnate as a grasshopper, and then you can try it again. You know what I mean? That's the whole point of that whole cycle of reincarnation. Another story. I always wonder why people aren't like, oh, in a past life, I was a president. Why weren't you a cricket, you know, in a past life? Everybody was somebody famous in a past life. You ever notice that? It's nuts. Or infamous, that, you know, no one, no one has ever, I was a seagull. I remember flying over the ocean and somebody shot me with a gun. You know, nobody, nobody, nobody talks like that. <laughs> so it's this accumulation, you know, although these religions, it's about accumulating something to get that your good works outweigh your bad. That's not true. It's about man going up. Christianity is the only one. It's not about man going up. It's about the God who came down. And the one who came down to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He came as us because we can't do it. It's not happening. He tells them, you are of this world. I am not of this world. He uses the tetragrammatron. So when they ask him, who do you think you are, which is what they ask him, he's like, I'm telling you. He uses the divine name. He calls himself by the divine name, which they would go crazy. Jesus kept saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. That's how he referred to himself. And they're just like, oh my gosh. This guy's gonna, we're driving, this guy's gonna kill us. We're gonna kill this guy. But he would always invoke the divine name. He never hid who he was. And they're like, who do you think you are? Why did he say, who do you think you are? Right? Say this with me. If Jesus says it once, pay attention. If he says it twice, try to understand it. If he says it three times, we really need to learn something here. He says three times in ten verses, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Three times in ten verses. They knew exactly what he was saying. 
They knew, they said, he basically saying, you're eternally damned. You are not in me. If you don't believe that I am the one, you are lost. And that's when they said to him, how, who do you think you are? They didn't say, who are you? They said, who do you think you are to tell us that we're lost? Who are you to tell us that we need a savior? Who are you to tell us that Islam is not the way, that Muhammad is not, or Krishna, or any of these other people? Who are you to say that, that you are the only way? Who are you? How unecumenical of you? How exclusive of you? To exclude all other religions and say you're the way? To exclude all other people and say that they have to have faith in you alone? Who are you? Jesus is like, I am. He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by him. It's, it's right. That's who he is. We have to come to Christ as Lord. We must receive him as Lord. He is Lord of all. There's only one way. If there was another way, then Christ died in vain. You know, if you can get it through eating yak butter and, pra- and playing with Buddhist beads, then Jesus died in vain. Yeah, great diet plan, a lot of moral values with Buddhism, but can't save you, right? I'm sure there's some, you know, those little ting, those little Hindu symbols are kind of cool every now and then, the ting, but it can't save you, not saving you. Yeah, only Christ can save you. He's the one and only. Who do you think you are? This is man's heart today. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, Christian, telling me I have to be saved? Who are you to tell me that I must repent? Who are you? (laughs) See the arrogance, the self-righteousness, the defiance? Jesus is standing right in front of him, and they defy him. They defy him. The fact that there's a way out at all that should cause man to fall down on their face. You know, we think that there's multi, you know, just the fact that, that we can get out of this situation, we can get out of the circumstance and the darkness that we find ourselves in, and Christ can save us, that should, that should inspire worship alone. Yeah. He says, you're not of, you are of this world. I am not of this world. What's he talking about? So there's two Greek words. We have the word chaos. We have the word, Greek word cosmos. Chaos means what your laundry bin looks like. You know, after about two weeks, right? That's chaos. Can I get a witness? That's what I was doing last night till 10 o'clock. I was doing laundry, right? My laundry bin, I'm like, wow, this is not good. So (laughs) when your clothes start taking on a life of their own and they stand up, it's like not good. Not a good thing. Got to address that. And so chaos is complete lack of order. Cosmos is order. So when Jesus uses the word world, he uses the word cosmos. It means system and structure. What's important to know is that he never refers to his world as a cosmos. Never. He uses, he uses the word basilica, which is power or royal power, and he uses the word aranas, which is kingdoms or realms. So Jesus never says, my cosmos. He says, my realms, <laughs> which is another story entirely. And so this system of order that that this world is, it's not just a system of structure, it's a system of thinking. It's a system of thinking. It's me first. Me at the expense of you. What have you done for me lately? Me, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy, right? Or it's even worse. It's I get to determine my truth. 
I get to determine what's right. I get to determine what's wrong. I get to determine what's acceptable. I get to determine what's not acceptable. That's the system of the world. Yeah? When man fell, it was because he, was, he proclaimed himself as God. That's the whole way that Adam fell. He pushed God away and said, you're not God, I am. And pff, down we all went. Down the dominoes went. <laughs> and that's what happens. That's the world that we live in. And this system of thinking that's self-centered at the expense of God, that decides that we can set up our own gods, our own deities, our own system. You know, we, you, you know God doesn't get to tell us what a male and female are. We get to determine what a male and female is. God doesn't get to determine what's moral. We determine what's moral. We determine right and wrong. Get the picture? That's the system of this world. And you know what the Bible says? It's under demonic control. It's under demonic control. And what's become fascinating to me as I've watched this journey in the decades that I've lived is I've watched society wax worse because the church waxes cold. And it's cold on its message. We're culturally engaged. We're culturally relevant. But we're kingdom irrelevant. We're cosmically relevant. Oh, we got all of the things and all of the everything. And some of that stuff, whatever. But the problem is, is when the thinking incepts itself into the thinking of the believer, it neuters the power and it destroys the influence. The church has no influence. The salt loses its savor. We got Ferraris on the stage. We got skinny jeans and smoke machines, right? We got pastors signing 8 by 10 glossies at the door. Well, we got the rock stars, we got all that, but we don't have power, right? We don't have power. We lack influence within the culture. And as the church is retreated from the culture and no longer wants to speak on anything that's uncomfortable, oh, we don't want to talk about that. As we've backed out of that voice, the darkness has filled that voice. They didn't crucify Jesus for being Mr. Rogers. It wasn't because he wore sweater vests and was a nice guy giving out fish and chips. It wasn't that he was giving children lollipops and, you know, healing. And that, that's not why they crucified him. They crucified him for his words. It was his words that they crucified him for. It was for his light speaking into a darkness and a culture and commanding that culture to bow, and they wouldn't, so they killed him. He didn't get, he didn't, they didn't crucify him for being a nice guy. Say so he was born to die. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you watch what he says as he gets closer and closer to the cross. His words become more and more and more and more insightful. He incites them. Yeah. Don't you know what they're calling you? They're calling you God. As he's riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, like Zechariah prophesied. And he says, if they won't say it, I'll command the rocks. Yeah. He proclaimed himself king. Only time he did. Didn't last a week. The moment he proclaimed himself to be king, Nagib, was the minute they said, this, this brother's got to die. I mean, they'd already planned to kill him, but that's when they executed the plan. We are in this world, but we are not of it. Do we understand this? This is really, really important as a believer to understand. This is fundamental. We are in this culture, but we are not of this culture. Our kingdom is not, we are of a kingdom culture. We come from not a cosmos, we come from an oranos. We draw from realms. Yeah? yeah? Uh-huh. Am I losing you? Okay. We draw from realms on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah? That's where we draw from. Our provision flows from a realm. Our provision doesn't flow from a system. 
system of thinking. It's where who told you that, right? That's the first thing that happened to man. Man got locked into a system. Jesus says, where are you, Adam? Then he finds Adam, and Adam talks to him, and he goes, who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Who told you? Did I tell you you were naked, Adam? Then why are you believing that you're naked? I'll clothe you nonetheless. Who told you that? It's how Christians are. We think, oh, the world's going down. The economy's going south. Oh, my gosh, the market's changing. The market's falling. Who told you that? Who told you? Did he tell you that you're going to fail? Has your father told you you're going to fail? No. Then what are you afraid of? Then you're perfectly loved. Perfect love casts out fear. God says he'll give a nation for your ransom. He will give nations to make sure you're provided for. He'll kick the unbeliever out the door, cancel that contract, and make sure it comes to you. you got to put faith on this stuff. This is how it works. And you have to believe and know who and what you are. Sons and daughters of the highest. Isaac sowed in the time of famine and reaped a hundredfold. Nobody else was reaping. Isaac was. He couldn't bring it in fast enough. Do you know why? He knew who he was. He remembered the Lord, the Bible says. He had the consciousness of of the Lord, not the consciousness of the culture. Great victory with uh, Jonathan in the armor bearer because he had the consciousness of the Lord and not the consciousness of the culture or even the consciousness of his circumstance. You know the story, Jonathan in the armor bearer, the nation surrounded by an army bigger than theirs. Saul's in the tent having a breakdown. He's the leader of the people. (laughs) He's having a breakdown. Jonathan's out there lying under the, weed, under the weeds waiting for his father to get, get courage. And Jonathan starts thinking about the Lord. And he says, man, these natural circumstances don't really matter here, do they? Because it doesn't matter. The Lord's with me. He can save by many or he can save by few. So let's see if he'll save by few. And they go for a walk. And what happened? It was victory. Identity communal worship and understanding, and then pursuing by faith that which was rightfully theirs. We cannot be bound to this order. The kingdom doesn't work. The kingdom will not work if we're bound to this system. If we think like the culture, we cannot. You know, some of you, you're in a market, so I'll just give you this word. I don't know who this is for. You're in a position, and your market is shifting. Your market is shifting, and all the noise is coming, and all the noise, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Because you're being affected by all of the voices around you. You need to sit before your father, Lord, in light of this. What is your word to me? You know? I told first service, you should take a week. This should be an an exercise. And you might want to hold the chair because you're probably not going to like the answer. And you need to ask the Lord, I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to reveal to me every area of my life where I subordinate myself to a lesser voice than yours. He probably isn't going to give you more than two or three because that's about all you can handle. Because if he gave you the full gamut, you'd probably be choking on it. <laughs> you act in fear. Where's why act in fear? Every time it says you hear this or you listen to that, you act like that. You subordinate to a lesser voice. You don't believe you're worthy. You subordinate to a lesser voice. You don't believe I'll do it with you. You subordinate to a lesser voice. Who told you that? Another story, another day. We're not, part of a, we're not part of this cosmos. We're, not part, we're, part of, we're part of a kingdom, man. This is who we are. We're not even part of a church culture. Church has its own culture. I don't know if you know that. I don't know. Y'all get around. Church has a, so we're a kingdom culture church. So our job and the, 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 the work of this church and the inward workings of this church in this family is to take on earth as it is in heaven. 
As God wills, so we become. As God wills, so we create. We're not interested in denominations and traditions and this and, or how we do things. We're not interested in that. We're interested in what our Father wants. What does he want? What is at the heart of what he wants? What does he want to bring forth? We're not interested in creating a, cult, a, a church culture. We're interested in creating a kingdom culture. That's what we're all about. What happens when you... Yes, thank you, Shirley. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> When, when we get caught into a system of thought, we actually, this is what neuters the kingdom for most people. It neuters the kingdom. You cannot be bound to these, this system of thinking. Who told you that? Big issue. Bound to natural and bound to the rational. We, you know, we, we celebrate a lot of things. Our messages are, exer- are exhorting, and I get all that. But we have to go past exhortation. We have to move into reality. You know, if we can, if we, if we're all we're doing is exhorting and we're not manifesting reality, then we're probably doing something wrong. If it's all like, yay, Jesus, but there's no outflow of dominion in our life, then there's something, then we're missing something. There needs to be an outflow of dominion. When you, when you begin to desire change, God will change your season. The problem with Israel is that they were misaligned, and oftentimes Christians are misaligned. They're misaligned, they're called, they're born again, they're in a position, God has given them an inheritance, your inheritance, you know, fire, the healing is your inheritance, there's so many things that are your inheritance that belong to you by inheritance, but the problem is, is when you're misaligned, you cannot manifest what God wants you to have. There's things that you have to, there's things that you have to align with, you have to get, you have to connect with, and the things that God is asking you to connect with are not natural. They're supernatural. God gives you a system of alignment. So long as you're aligning with the culture, you're not going to... Anybody want... I don't know if you're all business people in here, because I keep feeling this big entrepreneurial pull, and I'm trying to pull back on the reins, and, and, like, and the horse keeps pulling me forward. So if you all are like entrepreneurs or whatever, some of you, do you want, God to, you want, do you want your business to succeed? Yeah. Right? Let, begin to trust the Lord. He's got an angle. He's got a way. He has something for you. And it's probably not going to come through natural voices. It might come through people, places, and things, but those people, places, and things are not going to precede God's voice. As you commune with him and you say, show me the way, Lord, he's going to highlight things to you. He's going to show you things. They're not going to make sense to you, and it might even be difficult for you to start them. But God, when he, God, God's going to back up what he says. Stop listening to all this nonsense. Well, I can't do that. You know, the economy's bad. Well, I can't do that. This is what's going on. I can't do that. Listen, listen to the Lord. Do what he says. Do what he says. <clears throat> I told my wife this morning, I was listening to a guy, and he said, I used to get up in the morning and read the paper. And he's like, I'd fill myself with murders and wars and muggings and kidnappings and economic despair. And he said, after I filled myself with that, I'd try to go and start my day. He's like, I'd read the paper from cover to cover. Some of you all, that would be the best therapy you could do is cut off the news. Yeah? Yeah. Stop. I mean, it's like, and then we, we watch it. We have, the, we have morning, noon, and night news, and we wonder why we can't move. Forget that stuff. Move in a different direction. System of thinking, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present yourself a, holy, a living sacrifice. So Paul is telling the Roman church or the church in Rome here to change by thinking, by changing the way that they think. 
as a person believes, perceives, and understands within their heart, so they become. Changing of the thought process and the, and the, and the method by which we think has to be shifted. He tells them in, in, in Romans chapter 12 here to shift the way that they're thinking. And before he tells them to stop thinking, he tells them, it's going to hurt. Say it with me, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You know, I urge you, brothers and sisters, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, it hurts to not think like other people. It hurts to go a different way. It hurts to break old habits. It hurts to become what you're supposed to become. It hurts. Are you with me? Say, if I want what I've never had, (laughs) I must do what I've never done. You got to do what you've never done. You got to change. You got to shift. You got to break those habits. Jesus tells him, I told you before, if you do not believe that I am, if you don't believe that I'm God standing in front of you, the Savior, the Messiah, this is what he's telling them, then you will die in your sins. Three times in ten verses he tells them this. It's crazy. The sin that he uses here is singular. This is important. Okay? Got two important points here. I blew past one of them in first service, and the guy said, man, you should have taken more time with that. I don't know if I'm going to take any more time in this service, but I'm going to try to make the point a little bit better. So sin, right? So we have to understand sin. Sin is an important topic to the believer, okay? Because we need to understand what sin is, what sin does, and how we move through or out of sin, right? So the sin that Jesus is using here is singular. Say it with me, haramatia. It means to offend or separation. This is the sin of condemnation. There is one sin of condemnation. And this is where I said, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. And the guy's like, well, it may not condemn me, but it certainly destroys me. And I'm like, absolutely. If you're going to go party, you're going to go do that and think you have a license to do that, it will destroy you. Haramatia is the sin that separates man. Haramatia is the sin sin that is judged. That sin, accompanied with all other sins, lies under judgment. So long as man is under that judgment, he is under sin, he is under that judgment. Haramatia is the separation. It's where Adam said, I'm God, you're not. I don't need you, God. I want my own way. That's what Adam did. You will be like God. That's what the devil said. Disobey the Lord, and you'll be like him. Break covenant with him, and you'll be like him. Well, that didn't work out too well. And so that's, what, that's the sin. The haramatia is what condemns us. Haramatano is to, means to miss the mark. So you have the sin of condemnation or the sin of separation, and then you have the sin of missing the mark, right? So if you're a Christian, you can still sin. I know this is frightening, and this is really understand, but you can still sin. Your sins don't condemn you. This is so difficult. This is so difficult because we don't understand what sin is and what condemns us. And so they say, shall we sin that grace may abound? This is Paul's whole argument in the book of Romans is over this very concept that I'm giving you. Sin does not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned, not now, not ever. You're born again. You're accepted in the beloved. And when you start understanding that and identifying with that and living through that, your life will change. And so the condemnation that Paul's, Paul's talking about, and then they say, well, you know, he says, well, sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And they, they start arguing with him. So are you trying to say that we should sin, Paul, so that grace manifests more? And he said, God forbid. In other words, he's basically talking to them like they're morons. You know, why do you want to go, why do you want to sin and produce death in your life? It has no value to you. There's no value to you there except for destruction and despair. That's all it will produce. The sin of condemnation is removed. So you want to go out here and you want to go do do these crazy things that produce nothing but death. Does that work out for anybody? You know, does drinking and partying work out long? How's that work out long term? 
Anybody here? Anybody here want to help me? How's adultery work out long term? Does that work out? And anybody, anybody working out? You know, how, you know, let's just look at the fruit of this or whatever. Putting chemicals in your body and smoking and all these different crazy things that we do. Hanging out with the wrong crowd. Does that produce anything good? It produces nothing. And this is what Paul is saying. Do you want to go back and do this stupid stuff with these stupid people and those stupid things and it's going to produce nothing in your life that's good? Nothing. But you're free to do so. <gasps> all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. What does he mean? He said, but I will be bound by nothing. You know, if I come under that, if I come under sin, I come on, if I come over here, then I, that sin's going to bind me. That sin's going to produce a result. I will reap what I sow. It's a whole idea. So we have the sin of separation. We have the sin of missing the mark. So as a Christian, you have a mark. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a mandate. There's something special about you. I know you've always known this. You're like, I knew it. There's something great. You're put on the planet to accomplish something. When you sin... You move yourself off course, right? You're off course from what God wants for you. You're choosing something apart from what God wants. I'll put it this way. To them who know what to do and do it not, to them it is sin. So if God's told you, I want you to, let's just use the entrepreneur again. I want you to start a business. I want you to work your job, earn your wages, and in your spare time, I want you to get off of Netflix, and I want you to start a company. And you say, Oh, but I don't want to start a company. I like Netflix. You know what I'm saying? You're sinning. Not sinning unto condemnation, but you are off the mark that God would want for your life. Do we understand this? Right? That's a very demure way of saying it. So we want to think about sin in these outward extravagant ways when what sin really is is issues within the heart. So it's what, God, what is God asking you from your life? And as long as you're not listening to that, you're off the mark. I want you to reconcile with this person. I want you to whatever it is that he asks of you or calls you to do, and you don't want to do it. It's sin because God has a purpose in instructing you that way. He has a mission for you, and he has a reason for you in, in instructing you that way. So sin of separation, sin of missing the mark. Do we understand this? Do we, yeah, two of you? I've done a great job. I've really communicated this well, right? So we have those two things. In Christ, you're reconciled. What causes your life to change is when you understand that you're loved. What causes your life to change is when you understand you're a son and a daughter. You got that? That's what that, you know, it's like, it's like I'm a son and a daughter. And that's why you're not living in fear. There is no fear in love, right? Oh, my gosh, I listen to Jay-Z, you know. Oh my gosh, I'm condemned. God's against me or whatever. That's how we, that's how we act. I got to get saved again. No, dude. Is, is Jay-Z pro, pro, promoting anything good in your life? Is there anything good coming for you from that music? Is it, is it pushing you higher or is it drawing you lower? That's the question. This is the idea. It's moving you off the mark. So we have the sin of condemnation. We have the sin of being off the mark. Then we have haramastasis, which is not, a, it's not used in the Bible, but it is a Greek word that, you, that talks about the condition. And what this means is it's the condition that you're in in relationship to the sin. Do you understand that? So the unbeliever, their haramastasis is that they're lost and eternally lost. They're just lost. That's, that is the state of their being. The Christian who's born again, their status, their stasis is they're in righteousness, but oftentimes their life is in a state because of the choices that they have made or the choices that they will not make or impulsive decisions. God's been dealing with me a lot about this because things I see in my own life, and he's telling me it takes time, Kevin. 
It takes time. Listen, your freedom, your deliverance, your destiny is inevitable if you do not grow weary in your well-doing. You understand? Most of us have crop failure because we give up on what God told us to do. Or we have crop failure because we put the seed in the ground yesterday and we're laying on the ground screaming at the dirt, grow! You know what I mean? Or we start digging back up the seed that we sowed. It takes time. It takes time to root. I'm trying to grow bamboo. Good God. They say it grows six feet a year. Yeah, but it's about the, it's about the size of a pencil, you know. So I got this little bamboo pot in my yard, and it's like I got, I, it went six feet, but it's like a, you know, I'm expecting like bamboo, man. I want bamboo. And it's not bamboo. It's like a pencil, you know, just a tall, a tall, a tall skinny pencil. It takes time. Yeah, it takes time. This stuff takes time. Sin comes from Adam, Christian. Where does sin come from? We're born of Adam. Every person's a sinner. Not because of your actions, but because you're born into it. You have iniquity in you. Adam's sin. Say it with me. Iniquity, iniquity. is issues in the bloodline. And it is transferable. Right? So Adam sinned, and the transference of Adam's sin is called iniquity. All of us are born in iniquity. We're born of the descendant ancestry of Adam, and we're born of the blood of Adam. Jesus comes as the last Adam. It's all Bible. I can't read you all the verses because I'm out of time. Jesus comes as the last Adam to give us blood so that we can no longer be born of the blood of Adam. We can be born of the blood of Jesus. Coming, come on, coming out of the iniquity of Adam and into the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it means to be born again. We're born of Adam. We must be born again. It's not one action that condemns you. You're born condemned. We're all born condemned. Sin has been condemned. Man is born under sin. So therefore, that's that whole alignment. God's calling us out of that. All right, so here we go. Sin has been judged and sin has been condemned. Man without Christ will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're a believer, you got nothing but good on your way. You will, you will inherit the eternal world. But don't you want some promises in this one? Don't you? I do. I want to see God's movement. I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God's power in my life. I want to see God do amazing things. Yeah, not just fibromyalgia. I want to see far more than that. Yeah, I want to see blind eyes. I want to see dead raised, right? I want to see far more than that. If you weren't here, we had a woman heal the fibromyalgia on Easter. So anyway, it's all good. I want to see more than that. Sin's judged. The Bible tells us this. Jesus spoke more on hell than anything else. And so this is what somebody said. Can you give more than five minutes on hell next time, Kevin? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try. But how, so I'll just tell it to you like this. This is, an un, this is an unpopular subject, especially not even in the American church, is that we don't even use the word hell anymore. We think everybody's saved. Not everybody's saved. Jesus is standing in front of religious leaders, extremely religious, moral, exterior, everything. And Jesus said, if you don't put faith in me, you're lost. And where I am, you cannot come. There was no negotiation. If you don't come to me and give your life to me, you will not go where I am. End of story. It's not we're all saved. That's not the idea. Jesus loves us all. Yeah, Jesus loves us all, but you got to be born again. That's the idea. And there is a hell. I was sitting with pastors years ago eating breakfast. This is a long time ago. And I, was, I knew I was in the wrong group when they asked this question. Is hell real? Do we really need hell? As a topic within our churches, this is the conversation. I'm eating an omelet, and I'm like thinking, are you guys serious? You know? My answer was, hell yeah, hell's real. <laughs> it's extremely vivid in the scripture. It's there. 
You cannot miss it. Jesus talked more about it than anything else. Three words in the Bible for hell. The first word is Sheol. So let's just talk about this first. Let's talk the good news. So we have Jesus. When a Christian dies before Christ, they went to a place called paradise, which was Abraham's bosom. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, you will be with me today in paradise. So there was a place of holding for the, for the believer, waiting for the resurrection. The Bible says when Christ rose, he took with him those that were in paradise. So now when a Christian dies, from, do you absent from the body? to be present from the Lord. You're going to step through a veil, and you're going to be with Jesus. Got me? That's the inheritance of the believer. Bible says death has no sting. Grave has no victory. It cannot hold the believer. It's inevitable. It cannot be reversed. You, he's conquered death. The unbeliever goes to a place, the Bible uses this word first, called Sheol. It's a place of holding. They are held in a place of holding. If you know the story in Luke with Lazarus and the rich man and the man in the being held and wanted water dipped on his tongue, the whole point of that, he's in Sheol. It's a place of holding until when? The final judgment. Revelation 21, the books were opened. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the Lord. And whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's an inconvenient truth. But the word that he uses for hell there is Gehenna. So you have Sheol, and then you have Gehenna. Gehenna is the place of torment, the, the, the finality of all the judgment. Made for the devil and his angels. Never made for man. It was never made for man. Made for the devil and his angels. But so long as man's allegiance lies in demonic realms, which it does. This is, again, a hard one to digest. If man is outside of Christ, you are under the influence of Satan. Period. I don't feel like it. I don't look like it. He doesn't need to make you feel or look like anything. The truth remains. He rules the unbeliever. He dominates, he dominates disobedience. It's not, there's no neutral party in this war. You're under the dominion of light or you're under the dominion of darkness. That works eternally and that works naturally as well. Another story, another day. So you have Sheol, you have Gehenna, and you have a place called Tartarus, the angels, that, that's, that's another, and I'm not even going to get into that. That would take me too long to explain. But these are the places. And God, when God calls the dead, he says he, get, he gets rid of hell and the grave. So when God final and the final judgment, the place of Sheol will be done away with. Just like the place of paradise is done away with. It's the way it is. We've been saved. Christ has died for us and has given his life for us to save us from, he, he, this is the thing. He didn't have to. This, this is what's, this mind boggles me all the time. He, he didn't have to do this, you know? You know, you see your friend or you see, you know, it's like what he gave for us, it's just like, it's just unbelievable that he would do this for us. And not only does he do this for us, and not only does he offer us forgiveness and salvation, when you become born again, it's the prodigal son times 50. A robe, a ring, a party, all that, but he gives you an inheritance, and he immediately gives you a title, son of the highest, daughter of the highest, royal priest, holy nation. Come on. He gives you a title. You who have no name, he gives you a name. You who have no offering, he gives you himself as an offering. You who have no inheritance, he gives you himself as an inheritance. And he seats you in heavenly places with him. Far above all principality powers. What he's talking about, he seats you above that which was above you. All of that darkness that was above you. All of that demonic power that was above you. It's not natural. Again, another story. Going to take me in the wrong direction. Trying to close this. 
In him we live, move, and have our being. It's important in my challenge, and I feel like the mandate on, my church, on, the, on me, when I, became, when I first started following the Lord, I'd ask him this question, what do you want from me? You know, and he would give me instruction. And even as like I sort of stepped into pastor and leading a church and trying to obey what he's asking me to do, I asked him again, I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to teach my people to call upon me. That's what he would tell me. This is what I want. I want my people to come to me. I want my people to commune with me. I want my people to relate to me. It's one of the most important things that you could ever learn as a believer is that in him you live, move, and have your being. That you must communally worship. If you're a Christian this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, or, or you've never communally worshiped or given your life in, a, in that sense where everything comes under him and say, I'm not going to do my time my way, I'm going to do it your way. I'm not going to do my body your way, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do my morality your way. I'm not going to do my money your way, I'm going to do it your way. That's lordship, Christian. It's lordship. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. And if you don't know Christ, today is your day. The Bible says you are lost. It says eternity, there's no coming back from eternity. None of us are getting out of here alive. I know that's hard to believe. Every life ends in death. And the Bible says the glory fades. The grass withers and the glory fades. Man is like a flower in the grass. Some of us, you know, you're looking at your life and you're like, wow. I got less in front of me than I do behind me. Right? That's a stark reality. Eternity is closer than ever. Some other people, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible makes all kinds of promises, but it never guarantees any of us tomorrow. That's why it says, if the Lord's will, do not say tomorrow I will do this. Do not say tomorrow I'll do that, because there's no guarantee for any of us for tomorrow. And it talks about salvation. It says today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Right now. Don't think about it. Give your life to Jesus. The Bible uses the word pistas, come on. It uses it to embrace with the heart. You don't have to understand it. You can be saved without ever understanding it. You embrace it. You grab hold of it and say, I don't understand this, but this is what I want. I don't understand this, but this is what I need. I'm all in on this. That's what saving faith is. And if you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 40-second prayer. Change your life. Elevate's going to pray with you. We're all going to pray. We're just going to open our hearts and ask Jesus to come inside. The Bible says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. This is, this is the standard of salvation. It lays it out for us. We must believe with our heart, not our head, and, but we must open our mouths. We must open our mouths. A marriage covenant isn't signed unless, isn't, is, can't be signed unless they exchange vows, right? He just doesn't stand up there and just say nothing, right? You have to say it. Words are binding, all the more so in God's kingdom. Words are binding. So we must believe in our heart and we must openly use our tongues. And the Bible says this again. If you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my father. If you deny me, if you confess me, but if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. Another inconvenient truth. <laughs> Let's not be those people. Let's open your heart and ask Jesus to come inside. I'll lead you in a prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. <laughs>